happens and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Hey everyone, I'm Kip Bodner and welcome to this episode of The Gross Show. I'm here with Andreas Weigand and he's got a new book out called Data for the People and he's going to be chatting with us today about it. Andreas, welcome. Good to be here. So the book launched last week? Yesterday was a publication date. Oh, congratulations. That's, that's exciting. Why'd you write it? So I grew up in Germany and my dad was in prison for a while in East Germany because they thought he was an American spy. And after he died, the early 2000s, after the East German regime had collapsed, I asked for his Stasi file, for the secret police file mm-hmm. they kept about him. And I got a letter back saying, We're sorry, we destroyed his file to protect the innocent informants. <laughs> but since we were looking, we found one for you. Here is the cover sheet. I thought, wow, that is crazy. I mean, I was an undergraduate at the time. You're like, what did I even do? Exactly. And so that attitude towards a government having 10% of the population collect data about the remaining people. And you never knew if you had a dinner party. You never knew who really are your friends and who are your friends who are also reporting things to the Stasi. So you might think that that experience of having a family member go to prison and of, you know, really having been spied upon yourself, that that would have made me for a person who really believes in protecting your data and shielding yourself however you can. Uber privacy, yeah. Uber privacy. But then when I was chief scientist at Amazon and I realized just how much companies know about you, whether you want it or not. Or a pretty good mental model of what's happening with data at Google. Mm -hmm. That's when I realized, rather than focusing on the downside, rather than trying to protect things, which is, you know, the last battle, the previous battle, (laughs) let's focus on the upside. Let's focus on tools that create value out of our data, that help us as individuals, as citizens, Make better decisions for ourselves, not for corporations, but for ourselves on our terms. So the book really has lots of stories enunciating, clarifying, giving examples with a goal to have people realize it is not black and white. It's about trade-offs. What what was your favorite story that you included? My favorite story is the huge experiment which is run right now. On each side, there's about a billion people. It is one, Facebook, two, WeChat, which is <laughs> the Chinese communication yeah. tool. And to see how our social norms, the social norms that are baked into those two products, vastly differ. I want to give you two examples. One, Facebook is amazing about keeping my data. Mm -hmm. So actually, I look up, when did I meet that person? And it says, 
you first became friends in whatever. WeChat is awful on keeping data. Something which you might have posted only two weeks ago mm -hmm. might already be showing up with a banner, sorry, the data has either been deleted by the user or is no longer available. And I think that really sucks. <laughs> so that is one dimension of that experiment. Sure. How companies treat your data. So you might know in the EU, they have that right to be forgotten. Yes. I want a right to be remembered because I think that that is more interesting to me than to be forgotten. So I want to have companies really have like a service level agreement that if you share data with them, that you actually keep on having access to those data. And is that because it creates value for you or because you want access to it? Like, why is that? So I think we are the data we create. And if our own data, often in combination with other people's data, can help us make better decisions, I think that makes the world a better place. Now, for example, if you take Yelp as an mm -hmm. example of a data refinery of an organization that collects data, and in this case, totally people knowingly and willingly contribute data, and then refines those data to help you figure out where you want to have dinner. That is something where the social data of millions mm -hmm. of people mm -hmm. taken together help individuals make better decisions. So that for me is the value of data. The other dimension on WeChat versus Facebook is should your list of friends be accessible to others? Right. So when somebody hits me up with a friend request, I typically look right away, who do we know in common? Yeah. And then you get a pretty good feeling about whether they are you know, going after this kind of people or not. No way that WeChat, and I've worked with Tencent, no way that WeChat would ever make that possible. Why? Because the social norms in China is that the Guangxi, the, the good luck, the relationship, that is something which is very valuable. And you would just be giving that up by allowing anybody to see who you yeah. know. And also the distinction which we, I think, somehow have in the United States yeah. that, you know, when you visit that, you know, sketchy establishment last night, you <laughs> might not really end at that person right away to your Facebook friends. In China, there is only one communication tool. And because it is both your personal friends, shall we say, yeah. and your business relationships on exactly the same platform, you don't want other people to see what's going on. So a lot of people that listen to this show, they're, they own businesses, they're marketers, they're salespeople. They're the people collecting data on whether it be their customers, their prospects, their employees. What should they know? What, what's your message for the world of... of of the folks that aren't Google, that aren't Amazon, that aren't WeChat, but they're still collecting data at that, their own level. I think think of the world, think about your business from the perspective of your customers. That sounds pretty trivial, a customer-centric view, but actually is very deep. At Amazon, we spend significant time writing down the equation of business, as I call it, from the customer perspective. Mm -hmm. 
So from the company perspective, it might be your lifetime value mm-hmm. or it might be the load of your call center. It might be which hours of the day you sell how much. Yeah. These are very different metrics from the customer. For them, it would be, you know, is the item which I want in stock or not? Or how long do I have to wait when I'm calling the call center? So thinking about the metrics which matter to the customer. So writing that equation from the perspective of the customer is what I think companies really seriously need to do. So what that means is that you figure out, assuming that you had all the data in the world Mm -hmm. readily available at your fingertips, ignoring privacy, ignoring security concerns, you figure out what equation would you want to have to have. And then you see which data do we actually Mm -hmm. have, what do we have to pay for, what are the problems with the data. But you start with the assumption you have the data and you write down the equation. Well, how do you have access to your data if you don't know all the data that exists about you? I mean, if I think about our conversation so far, you've, you've talked about a bunch of things where data is being captured and the person wouldn't be actively aware of it. How do you reconcile that? Oh, I think I'm very pragmatic here that you will never know all the data that has been collected sure. about you. But what should you have access to of that whole subset? Please don't try to get people to bark up that tree (laughs) and to romanticize the view and say, in the good old days, you know, I could control Mm -hmm. my data. Those good old days are gone. And by the way, they weren't all that great. (laughs) This romantic view or romanticized view of um, a language which also reflects this like giving up your data. You don't want to give up your data. You're not giving it up. I mean, you're sharing it or taking back control. You never had control over those data because those data didn't exist. So I think we have to be very careful with the language that we use because the language says a lot. For instance, Germans don't have a word for sharing. (laughs) We say teilen. And that is exactly the same word as to divide. <laughs> okay. You know, Germany was divided. Yeah. Geteilt ist Deutschland. So it is interesting how much language reflects thought and how much yeah. actually thought is reflected in language. Different social norms are reflected in the language. So we, we, we started the show. We talked a little bit about the, the book that just came out, Hot Off the Presses. Data for the people. Go check it out, everybody. Um, why, why now? Why does that book matter right now? Why is this an important period of time for that book to come out in? I've seen over the last years, by traveling between Europe, China, and the United States, that the attitude citizens have towards data, mm-hmm. towards their data, vastly differs. Hugely. Yeah. So... The book is really built on my experiences. First, when I was a grad student coming to the United States, Mm -hmm. my PhD advisor gave me a terminal and a modem and (laughs) said, you know, you just log in the morning, 
And then log out in the evening and you'll be connected all day long. And that would have been more than my dad's salary was if I had done it in Germany. Wow. Because here we had local flat rates. Mm-hmm. And in Germany, every eight minutes, 20 cents or something like this, right? Yeah. So that attitude towards the flow of data, you know, really has stayed me with me for the last 30 years. All right. So we're, we're running out of time, but I wanted, I wanted to kind of circle back to the book before we, we finish. Yeah. What are some tangible ways that people can get educated on their data? Read the book. <laughs> read, read the book. Come on, you got to give us one one other teaser to to get us excited about the book. What's what's something somebody can do? So, I find it extremely interesting to look at my location history on Google. It That's interesting. Is just knowing where I was on a random day five years ago. Or also querying, when was I at MIT over the last 10 years? Mm-hmm. So that is very powerful data and very small data, just mm-hmm. my KML file. When it comes to my searches, wow, that's way more sketchy. I think the searches are pretty much about as personal as anything gets. Yeah. At least for me. No, I think they're a window into everybody's life, right? What's going on? What problems they're trying to solve? What's worrying them? What All those they things. want, exactly. So, do you trust your doctor more or you trust Google more? Would you ask your partner or would you ask your search engine tricky things? And I think for most of us, it is the search engine which knows more about us. Yeah. And it's at bare minimum a place we look for validation. Even if we ask our doctor or our partner or some of those people, we we want some type of other validation now that we think we can have it. One last fun question. Half the time I've had with you today, you've talked about going different places, traveling to China, traveling here to Boston, traveling. You seem like you travel a lot. Where is your favorite place in the world to go when you're not in San Francisco? My favorite place is where my friends are. (laughs) That is a very, very appropriate answer. Andreas, thanks for hanging out with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hi, thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you love The Grow Show and you like what you heard today, please leave us a review in iTunes. It helps us share The Grow Show with the world.